Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We've been journeying the resurrection of Jesus together in the series that we're calling Rise, um, all the way through Lent, the season of Lent. And uh, Jace, Jason Torrance spoke last week. Didn't he do a great job? Fabulous job, Jace. And talked about the invitation, you know, the invitation that's before us to step into this resurrection life that Jesus offers every single one of us. And this morning, I had a couple of things that I just felt the Lord on for us to share. Uh, Because of our Wi-Fi problems, it's not going to be as uh, technologically amazing. But do you guys remember at the end of his life, Johnny Cash got together with Rick Rubin and I think produced some of the finest recordings of of Johnny Cash's career right before he passed away. And he, he sung all these old spirituals and just simple folk songs. And, you know, here's a guy in his 70s. He may have been in his 80s by that time. Um, and just his voice, you know, the Johnny, it wasn't the Johnny Cash, the hello, I'm Johnny Cash of the 40s and 50s. It was this rugged kind of like raspy, I've been through so much life kind of voice. Um, as, he's, as he was singing these songs that were just beautifully produced by Rick Rubin. And there was one song in particular that I've been just uh, listening to all week, and it's the song Ain't No Grave. Have you guys heard that one? I think Bethel Music out in California did a remake of it, but uh, the, the lyrics are simply that, Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, that our physical bodies will be resurrected from the grave. And a lot of times we can focus on the spiritual aspect of coming to life, and that's so true. But I don't want to undervalue or underemphasize the, um, the physicality behind what happened to Jesus and what Jesus initiated, and what will happen to us. That there will be a day. There will be a day after you're long gone, dead and gone, that you will rise up from the grave, and you will stand before the one who conquered the grave, Jesus. And he will welcome you into life everlasting. This will happen. This, this will happen for every single person, that we will rise up out of the grave. For every loss, for every person that you've lost, this will happen. There will be a day where our bodies, decaying, broken down bones, will come up out of the grave. And stand before Jesus Christ and be welcomed into eternity. I want us to remember that. I want us to keep that in focus because this morning's talk isn't too theologically deep, it's not too heady. I think what I'm getting at is the heart this morning. And what I wanted to share, what I believe that God 
had on his heart for all of us this morning is just the provision of the resurrection. What the Father provides to us and for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is provided as people through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the Father in His deep and His vast love for people provides this crazy plan of rescue, this rescue mission to save men and women, to bring them back from the powers of death and destruction. And it was prophesied since the beginning. Do you remember after Adam and Eve fell in the garden and all of that business was, was a done deal You know, they had eaten the fruit, they had disobeyed God, they were made aware that they were naked, they felt shame, brokenness had entered into the scene. The enemy had seemingly won. And then we're given this little verse in Genesis chapter 3.15 that just gives us so much hope and is um, so forward-thinking in the plan of God. And God says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to Satan now, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From the beginning of the book, in Genesis 3, we're given a picture or a prophecy of what Jesus will later accomplish at the cross for you and for me today. Way back in the beginning, he will crush your head. Satan, You, it looks like death has won. It looks like you got what you wanted to be glorified. Satan wanted to be worshipped. It looks like Uh, death had won the day, but God says from the very beginning, one day Jesus is going to crush your head. Though you strike his heel at the cross, Jesus through his death and resurrection will crush you, Satan. And death does not have the last word, love does, life does. So we can see the wisdom of God from the very beginning and the provision of of the resurrection of Jesus for us as men and women. That's so wise. This plan of rescue is so wise from the very beginning. Death is so ingrained in how we think about um, everything. Death is ingrained or woven into There's a finality to it. And there sure was a finality to the way that Jews thought about it as well. In the Old Testament, of course, there's passages of resurrection here and there. Think about the Shumamite woman, Daniel 12. There's a little bit of resurrection talk in Daniel 12 that the both the good and the evil will be brought back to life before the throne of judgment. It's here and there. But for the most part, generally speaking, the Jews believed that once you were dead, that was it. There's a finality in it. That there was no coming back. Or at, at best, you slept where your forefathers slept. 
in that place, wherever that, it was kind of hazy, it was like final, there was a, that was it kind of mentality about it. And that's one of the main arguments, coincidentally, that landed Jesus on the cross. You know, it's one of the ways that he got there, if you will. If you think about Matthew uh, 22, and there's this group of religious leaders called the Sadducees who did not believe in resurrection. And apparently they were pretty adamant in that, that firmly held belief that the dead did not come back to life. Dang it, the dead will not rise. They stay dead. I mean, they were willing to put Jesus on the cross to defend that belief. That same day, Matthew 22, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him with a question. But about the resurrection of the dead, Jesus says, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. This finality, they went to a place where they slept, where their forefathers went, but there is no coming back. And this plays out the way that we think about death today as well. This finality to death. And we, so much so that we don't like to talk about it. And I feel some of you in the room this morning, why are we talking so much about death? Kind of. It's kind of swept. We don't, we don't like to discuss it. We like to have the funeral. We like to see the coffin, the graveside memorial, and then we like to leave it alone and not talk about it, right? There's this finality to it. And that's why Jesus' discourse in Matthew 22 is so important to what his uh, resurrection provides for you and for me. Or rather, what the Father provides to us. Because what Jesus is saying in Matthew 22, God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead, is he's saying there's a new order that's being ushered in, in himself. You just wait and see. Who says that in Narnia, that even death itself is working in reverse? Is that Father Christmas who says that? I forget. But Jesus is like turning the, he's turning the dial. And that's why the, you know, he's, it's death in reverse. And that's why the Sadducees want to put him on the cross for it. They want to string him up to, for holding that belief and for spreading that message. That eternal life is that we are meant for forever. Can you imagine saying something like that in a group of people getting so furious with you that they'd nail you to a cross for it? The Sadducees are like, nope, nobody's coming back. Jesus is like, you're wrong. You're so wrong. They're only sleeping. They'll come back one day. And have life eternal, life everlasting. And that's what got him strung up. Even in the way our language is shaped. This was a good one. I got, this, was, this one gave me goosebumps. Even the place that we call where we bury our dead. And the semantics of what that word means. What's it called? It's a 
It's a cemetery. It's a cemetery. It comes from the Greek word koimeterion, which is divided into two words, the verb koimad, which means to sleep, and eriot, which means a, a place, a place of sleeping. Even what we call where we bury our dead is a confession that Jesus is not done with the bodies that are buried there. Resurrection awaits. Or, as Sarah's Gigi, Sarah's grandma, from the backwoods of Kentucky used to say, whenever she passed the cemetery growing up, Gigi would say, that's where the dead people live. In a, in a weird way, Gigi is saying the same thing as the Greek word for cemetery is. It's a confession that resurrection awaits. That we all, all things will rise one day. One day all things rise. Jesus says in Revelation 21, as we read this morning, he's making all things new. And that includes your body, my body, all things from the tiniest ant blade of grass to all of creation. Jesus makes all things new. Paul gets after it. The Apostle Paul gets after it in his letter to the church at Corinth. I'm going to be sensitive to where the Lord is leading this morning. Okay. Here, here listen, listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. I declare to you, brothers and sisters that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. This is really cool. Paul's going to let us in behind the curtain. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we all will be changed. Come on! Come on with that! The dead will be raised imperishable. What had a hold on them, dang it, what had a hold on us before will no longer be able to touch us. Because the dead, Paul says, the dead will be raised imperishable without ever perishing again. Death won't be able to touch us. Why? We will be changed 
For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written down will come true. And here it is. This is the good news. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory now? Paul, can you see Paul laughing? Ha! Death, where is your victory now? You thought you had us. You thought you had us, but you didn't have us. Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on. You thought you had us. It's the greatest underdog story. I mean, but he knew all along, even since, since Genesis, even since the beginning, that Jesus' death and resurrection would set everything right. in a way that our perishable bodies, our mortal bodies, will be clothed imperishable. The dead will be raised. Oh, death, where is your sting? Love that. Okay, so all that to set up the two quick ones of what the resurrection of Jesus, uh, what, what the Father, rather, provides for us through the resurrection of Jesus. And the first thing I felt like God wanted us to hear this morning is that no matter how simple it might seem, it's always just a good idea to return here. <laughs> is that the resurrection, the Father, through the resurrection of Jesus, provides for us a Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's anointed. He's chosen. The resurrection of Jesus is so important because it validates who Jesus claimed to be. Namely, the Son of God, the Messiah. According to Jesus, his resurrection was the sign from heaven that authenticated everything that he did. It was like the, the resurrection is like the Father's stamp of approval on who Jesus is. All of the stuff that he was doing, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead was all like the stamp of approval that pointed towards the resurrection and validated all that stuff that he did. I love that. It authenticates his ministry. The resurrection of Jesus attested to by hundreds of people after the fact, hundreds, provides irrefutable proof that he is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. Paul, again, in the same chapter in 1 Corinthians, for, I for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Kind of been hovering around this verse throughout the course of the series. This is it. Here, this is the, this is of first, Paul saying, that if you get nothing else, get this. This is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, 
that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's it. That's what we're living for. That's the whole, I mean, that's like the whole deal right there. That's the simple gospel of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. No one else has claimed and demonstrated this other than Jesus. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to be raised to life but through Him. He's the way. He's it. He's the Savior. And, you know, a lot of us might, might say, gosh, that seems super elementary and fundamental and but gosh, I just found my heart blowing up this week at, I am elementary. I am fundamental. I am basic. I don't know. I don't know how to say it another way. I mean, other than to return to the simple truth every day at his feet. You are the way. You are the truth. You are, you are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. You're anointed from the beginning of time. To, to do this work, to be this for us. You are the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. We see it all over, even in our pop songs, we see it. Izzy uh, Azalea says, I've been looking, with Quavo, this is Quavo's part. Quavo says, I've been looking for a Savior. I've been looking for a Savior. I've been looking for a real one to hold on to. I've been looking for a Savior. Everybody feels the need to be rescued. Everybody feels the pressure, what it means to be saved. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, St. Vincent, all of them, they're all writing songs. I need somebody to save me. Blake Shelton, the list goes on and on. They realize, what we realize is that we need something more. And we cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior to rescue us. And we'll celebrate this next Sunday at Palm Sunday when Jesus strides into town on his noble steed, on the little donkey, <laughs> my noble steed, the foal of a donkey, like the JV version. <laughs> so pathetic. The Romans are like marching in on their war horses, and here's Jesus on his noble steed with his faithful band of peasant fishermen followers. Do, do, do. And people are throwing palm branches, and they're, they're singing and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save us uh, forcefully, save us now, save us now. There's this recognition that we need something beyond ourselves, something, someone to save us. And Jesus, through his re resurrection, provides that means of salvation in himself, in his very own body. Isn't that crazy? So crazy. The second thing and the last thing it, that I felt God drawing our attention to this morning is that the Father, through Jesus' resurrection, provides us life everlasting. 
Let's not be too quick to forget that Jesus' resurrection, he's called in scriptures the firstborn from amongst the dead. Don't you love that? How many are firstborns? How many firstborns? A lot of you are firstborns. So much. So much responsibility that you're carrying. Look at you firstborns. I'm a middle. I'm one of those weird and wacky middles. (laughs) Oh, those middles, they're all messed up. Who's a middle? Who's with me? Come on, middles. Let's stay strong, middles. Let's not let those firstborns push us around. Who's the baby? Who's the baby of the family? Oh, you guys, you're so sweet. You are so sweet, aren't you? (laughs) You got all of the good things. Did you get all the good things? Or maybe you got all the hammy. Who was was a baby? Who's the baby? And all they got was hand-me-downs. A few of you. Who got all new things and spoiled don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> I see you. I see you. My son just got his license, and uh, being a middle, when I turned 16, my dad, who was military, he had to sign this long contract that we would drive 500 miles solo. It was so stringent, and um, all these things. And Luke is like, you're not going to make me sign that, are you? I was like, well, uh, you know... I- the jury's still out, buddy. Let's see how you do. Um, but anyway, my first car used to be, I said used to be, a 1978 red Chevy Nova. By the time I got it, it was pink. <laughs> like, And, you know, you feel really manly at 16 when you're driving around a pink Nova. I just, not many of you know how that feels. Feels great. Anyway, sorry, tangent, big tangent. Um, The scriptures say that Jesus is the firstborn from amongst the dead. And I've just been meditating on that title of who Jesus is, and everything that that means for me, for you, for all of us. He's the firstborn, right? So it's never happened before. He's unique. The uniqueness, what can we pull from that? The uniqueness of Jesus, of who he is. He's the firstborn from amongst the dead. Well, that points forward, too. If there's a firstborn, there's going to be a second born and a third and fourth and fifth that many will come back to life and be raised and resurrected just like Jesus was. The firstborn from amongst the dead. I just love that about who he is, that his resurrection provides life for you and for me. He didn't just come back from the dead and there, you know, he, hey, I'm alive. Peace, you know, like deuces out. That would have been terrible, wouldn't it? Wait, so you're saying I can't do that too? You're the only one who can do it? Well, yeah, he says, I'm the only one who can do it. But, but, 
Someday, you all will too. His resurrection provides life everlasting for you and for me. And that is no small thing. That is just no small thing. In John 10, Jesus gives this for the reason of his coming. That they, that you and I, might have life and life to the full, life overflowing. I love the way that the message version puts it. Eugene Peterson writes this in John 10.10. He says, A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And I believe, and I think Eugene Peterson puts it great here, in a way, uh, in context, that we can see it, that he's not just talking about the afterlife or blue dinosaurs, but he's talking about our life, that resurrection life, life and life to the full, has to do with our life in the here and the now as well. That they might have life and life overflowing, life upon life upon life upon life, that we would have resurrection life overflowing. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we would not have life. It would not be worth living without his resurrection. Without him raising up from the grave, we would not have life. Without the resurrection, none of Jesus' promises would be trustworthy. You'd be like, mm, prove it. Oh, right, you go away to prepare a place for us? Would you even trust that if he didn't raise back from the dead? You see, he's been there, so we can trust him when he says, I go and prepare a place for you. Without the resurrection, there'd be no apostolic foundation for what we're doing here this morning. There would be no church. We're centered around the resurrection. We're gathered around his raising from the dead. Without his resurrection, there'd be no model for sacrificial living. What greater love, what greater love is there, Jesus says, than when a man lays down his life for his friends. He's modeling sacrificial love for us and sacrificial living. Without the resurrection, there'd be no shalom to right all earthly wrongs and renew the world. And this is just it. We celebrate the resurrection of a living Savior. Jesus is not only alive, but he's risen. And the difference between those should make our hearts filled with joy, demonstrating that he is the Savior, conquering death, risen. He's not some dead martyr to be pitied, but a living, reigning, returning Lord to be loved and adored, both in present suffering and in future reward. Again, the message version, I love it. Listen to how Paul puts it in his letter to Philippi, uh, the church at Philippi in Philippians. He says this, I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any 
way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it, Paul says. The resurrection provides life and life eternal so that we can join the chorus with Johnny Cash. Cue Johnny Cash music, Wi-Fi's out. Ain't, why don't you join me in standing? For one last hurrah, yeah, go ahead and stand. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Ready? Ain't no grave. Uh -uh, Hold on now. Hold on now. I'm not traditionally a cheerleader. I am known to motivate here and there. Ain't no grave gonna... Let's make that declaration over ourselves. In Jesus, ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. 